This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Wednesday, November 23rd. The weather forecast looks like we're going to see some sunshine today, a nice high of 7 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Canada's men's soccer team meets Belgium today. Number two, Hamilton discovers raw sewage has been leaking into the lake since 1996. Number three, CUPE union members begin their contract ratification vote. Number four, school trustee is launching an integrity investigation against John Tory. And number five, the lawyer for the convoy protesters ejected from the Ottawa inquiry. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Happy Wednesday to you. Minus one degree outside, and uh, much as we began yesterday, at this hour, there's no wind chill. So it's minus one, and lo and behold, it feels like minus one. I have to say I've always been somewhat uh, uh, impartial toward, (laughs) that would be exaggerating, actually. I just, I've never quite understood the heat index or the sweat index or whatever the heck we talk about, and then the wind chill. Either, you know, you go outside, you know it's cold, it feels like it feels, so just keep moving. But minus one degree, we're below freezing at this hour. And today, pretty well, all anybody's going to be talking about, I mean, we're going to tackle a whole bunch of stuff because there's plenty in the news this morning, but everybody's got their eyes on Qatar and Canada playing Belgium this afternoon. And so that happens at 2 o'clock our time. I have to think there's a whole bunch of people who are either going to be in their workplace, whether you work from home or work from an office, um, you're going to have one eye on the television monitor trying to check out what's happening. And then a few people will probably quietly slip out of whatever workplace they're in and uh, hit some bar somewhere where at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, it's not like you're really defying expectations. I mean, the people who are ordering up a pint of beer at 8 o'clock in the morning probably get a few evil eyes. But 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to be fine. I have no special wisdom about what is going to happen this afternoon because soccer is uh, not really one of my games. However, I am told that uh, Belgium is very highly ranked. I think if I remember correctly, they're ranked number two. Canada is ranked number 41. But there's all sorts of good news, apparently, about various players who had suffered injuries who are going to be back in play for Canada today. And so the expectations are high. And you don't, it's not sudden, uh, you know, knockout if they don't happen to win today. As a matter of fact, if I understood the process correctly, um, you know, it's a points process to advance to the next bracket. So you could even lose all three games, but somehow using points, you might end up being advanced to the next uh, level. But that is the absolute limit of whatever knowledge I may have had. I've been doing some deep dives, but I find uh, in the world of sport that the coverage is usually written for people who already understand everything about the sport. So I will read 
you know, two full pages about a baseball game, and I'll think, I have no idea what happened, except I do know the top-line score. I know who won. Uh, but everything else is just as um, one Supreme Court justice in the U.S. once said of uh, legal briefs, it's argle-bargle. So a few other things, obviously, of importance this morning. One of them would be that uh, we've entered into the ratification process for the QP deal. Um, the vote will take place online. It will last until the 5th of December, and the results will be released on the 6th. So maybe we get some wonderful good news on the 6th that the deal has been ratified. We can move on from this one labor dispute to various other negotiations, which may or may not be as uh, fractious. I have a feeling, but I've been wrong in the past, but I do have a feeling that the deal will ultimately be ratified. And you know what? I've been part of union votes for my own unions, and often I've never even bothered to vote. Maybe that's um, that's a, a surrender or an abdication of my uh, rights and privileges, but I have always generally trusted the unions that I'm a member of that if the union leadership is recommending it, then everybody else can worry about the vote and we'll just keep moving. And I haven't been disappointed so far. In Ottawa yesterday, there was uh, an awful lot of drama. There were two takeaways in terms of the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act. One of them was Marco Mendocino, who is the public safety minister, effectively said, and this is the second time we've arrived at this same issue, uh, saying that he was getting one brief in writing and another brief orally or on the phone, that the head of the RCMP, even though the paper trail suggests that she still felt they didn't need the Emergencies Act, that when he spoke with her, she said, yes, we do, and you should go ahead and do it. So, so far, if you want to be a scorekeeper, it's been a fairly good week for cabinet and government because we've had multiple ministers and officials testifying that even if the paperwork doesn't suggest that they had um, they had been asked to invoke the Emergencies Act, that in oral briefings, people were saying, yes, absolutely. But then we have the lawyer for the convoy protesters. And Nick, I think we have the audio here. He has been fairly combative in his relationship with the inquiry, and in particular the judge. And yesterday he, and you don't do this, he's so ticked off the judge, the judge said, you know what, get out. No, I'm, I know you've directed, I'm sorry, you wanted the I'm application. Sorry, I'm speaking. Yes, sir. Um, the application, if you want to do it, you've been advised it's to be done in writing, not in the middle S of the sir, presentation. Sir, we filed two motions so in writing I'm, at your direction that you've refused to rule on with respect I'm, to the redaction of documents from the government of Canada. You're speaking, that has not I'm been speaking. ruled on and okay. they've been filed for I days. I will take a break while... Uh, you're asked Sir? to leave. I will return in five minutes if uh, security could deal with the council. And it's just something you do not do. You do not talk over a judge. You may disagree with the judge, but it's a bit like the Speaker of the House. When the Speaker of the House stands, as we heard just last week or the week before in a clip where... Uh, a member was kicked out of the house for, I think it was Peter Tabbins, actually, for accusing the government of lying. Um, when the speaker stands, actually, you have no choice because your microphone is cut off, but you also have to sit down. Um, now, in this case, this is the lawyer for the convoy, and his complaint is, 
that the government, first of all, dumps all kinds of documents on the inquiry, many of them redacted. Um, but his other issues include a conspiracy theory that he continues to try to advance, which is just torn so directly from the manual of the Trumpers and the insurrectionists in the United States. Um, his idea is that the um, Confederate and Nazi flags that were seen during the convoy protesters were actually planted by a marketing firm that was hired by the federal liberals. And, you know, I don't think he gets any kind of immunity from a lawsuit because the people who work for the PR firm that he mentioned have already alerted him via letter that they're going to sue his pants off. All right, let's get into what Toronto's talking about this morning. News Talk 1010's John Moore joining us live here on CP24. Good morning, John. Great to see and chat with you. Nice to see you, sir. Welcome to the airwaves of News Talk 1010 as well, Nick. Yeah, great to be here and great to see Canada in Qatar today playing in their first World Cup since 1986. There is so much anticipation and excitement here, John. There really is. I think a lot of people are going to be like school kids today, maybe some people vanishing from their offices before the match, or at the very least, working with one eye on the television. But it's at 2 o'clock, Canada against Belgium. Belgium is uh, very well ranked, but we don't absolutely, it's not do or die, we don't absolutely have to win today. Uh, Canada is ranked number 41. There was some good news. John Herdman, the coach for Canada's men's soccer team, was saying yesterday that several of the players who've been on the disabled list are actually going to be cleared to play today. Yeah, fully fit team, including Alfonso Davies, the star, right? I mean, that's just a huge boost to the team, knowing that he's going to be on the pitch as that kickoff goes. So definitely so much to look forward to. And we saw the upsets yesterday uh, happening over in Qatar. So if we can, uh, you know, maybe take some of that, you know, inspiration, I suppose, and see what happens at 2 o'clock this afternoon. So I'll have to get our naps in early, John, and then uh, wake up for the game. Uh, yes. In the meantime, from great to gross, <laughs> sewage has been leaking into Hamilton Harbour for 26 years. Hard to imagine this goes unnoticed that long. Yeah, tw you're right. 26 years. So since 1996, apparently about 50 residences in Hamilton have been owing to somebody having perforated a pipe somewhere. Um, their sewage has gone directly into the water. Uh, city officials insist that this has not actually damaged the quality of any drinking water, but it's still gross, to say the least. Also, I would add, it's a headline writer's dream, but we got to leave it alone. <laughs> it really is a headline writer's dream. You know, I was actually a student at McMaster University in 1996, uh, and, uh, I mean, I didn't live in that neighborhood necessarily, but just to think that that long ago that that started, and here we are yeah. in 2022. Let's move on. Uh, QP John is going to vote on their potential new deal. It'll be interesting to see how this goes. It's all going to be wrapped up, though, by December 5th, one way or the other. It is. The voting is beginning, and it will continue. It's an online process until the 5th. The union leadership has reluctantly recommended that membership accept this deal. Uh, the results will be out on the 6th, which would be a nice early Christmas present, I think, for an awful lot of people if it gets ratified and the... <laughs> Uh, possibility of work stoppage and school being out is off the table. For now, anyway, because there's other unions now that the government has to negotiate with. Yeah, that's right. We're certainly not finished with the potential drama there. We know how Laura Walton feels about that deal, so that result is definitely going to be one we're watching closely, John. Uh, in the meantime, we're also watching closely what's going on in Ottawa. The last week of the so-called Freedom Convoy uh, Emergencies Act inquiry, uh, getting interesting, one of the lawyers for the Freedom Convoy side tossed yesterday. 
Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, you're, you're right. We're in the last week, and it's going to culminate with Justin Trudeau testifying on Friday. But I would offer that this week is turning into the most dramatic. And yesterday, Brendan Miller, who's a lawyer for a charity that was created by the convoy protesters, uh, got into such a level of back chat with the judge. The judge finally said, that's it. You're out of here. I'm you know, we're going to adjourn. I'm going to come back in five minutes, and you better not be here. The objection uh, with Brendan Miller, he says the government doc documents are overly redacted, but he's also in some pretty considerable trouble over his conspiracy theory that uh, flags that we saw, Confederate flags and Nazi flags during the convoy protests, were actually planted by a PR firm that was hired by the federal liberals, and he's already been issued with a warning that they're going to sue him if he doesn't take that back. Yeah, that cease and desist letter is indeed uh, circulating, that's for sure, John. Now, we started in Qatar talking about the football. We're going to kind of round things all up, talking about what to do with all that Budweiser uh, beer, uh, what they're planning on doing with that leftover beer from the World Cup after finding out the 11th hour. Uh, sorry, guys, you can't sell your suds here. And it really was at the 11th hour. I mean, Budweiser had shipped hundreds of thousands of uh, tins and bottles of Budweiser product. And then all of a sudden, almost out of nowhere, uh, Qatar said, by the way, you can't serve beer during the match. So that left them with a bit of a dilemma, but now a PR opportunity, I think, because they've decided whichever country wins at FIFA in the World Cup, they're going to ship all of that beer to that country. And here's hoping it's not a country with the same sort of strictures <laughs> as Qatar. Yeah, I get the what's up guys going, what's up? Anyway, uh, John, appreciate that. We'll have to raise a glass of something to uh, Team Canada later this afternoon. Have a great show. We'll talk soon. That's our friend Nick Dixon over at CP24. And I don't want to over-anticipate things for our personnel here at News Talk 1010, but I have to think that the Budweiser move is going to end up on touchdowns and fumbles on Friday. That is exactly the kind of case study of how to turn something around and turn it into a net benefit when you've kind of been screwed. And so I have to imagine, you know, Tony uh, Chapman would have some thoughts about it, and certainly Bob Reed on touchdowns and fumbles will probably have some thoughts about it. And there's no way it's a fumble. I mean, it's a fumble for the Qataris. You know, when you have, I mean, they won the FIFA World Cup of Soccer in 2010. They've had 12 years to get ready for this. And so at the very last moment, to suddenly decide, yeah, no, we're not doing alcohol. And Apparently, Budweiser spent $75 million on this sponsorship. Now, that's not all beer. I mean, that's everything from signage, which will still be there, to the cachet that they've paid to some very, very famous soccer players and public figures in order to get them to endorse the product. Um, but still, they, were, they had all this product ready to go, and the Qataris said, you can't sell it. So now they're going to give it to whatever other whatever country wins. And that'll be, I mean, again, that's going to turn into a huge marketing opportunity, right? I mean, let's imagine for a moment it's Canada. So then all of a sudden we're going to be having victory celebrations in Canada and there's going to be free Budweiser beer being flown in probably on some kind of a cargo plane or military jet or something. Or they'll bring in by the Clydesdale uh, horses. They could bring it in with the Clydesdale horses. Somebody was asking me recently if I have ever ridden a Clydesdale. I don't know why they were asking me. Um, they accused me, actually, of not knowing anything about horses, and I do. I, I know plenty about horses. Well, you always say the shows, what is it, the Clydesdale Wagon of Fun? The Clydesdale Wagon of Fun. I mean, they're huge, right? 
Um, I don't know that too many people ride Clydesdales. For the most part, they're used to haul heavy equipment. But anyway, that's enough on horses. Uh, we have to take a short break, but in just a moment, we'll have the half-hour headlines for you, plus a check on traffic. And we've only begin or begun to scratch the surface of the headlines you're going to want to know about today. So we'll continue that on the other side. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 537. It's a sad commentary on things that I learned so much about shooting sprees yesterday. But I was listening to uh, an American talk radio show and they were talking to a specialist who had actually been a reporter who'd been investigating the shooting spree in Colorado that left five people dead in a gay club. And amongst other things that I learned, 70% of the time, a shooting spree is over before police reach the scene. The average shooting spree is over in less than three minutes. And then you get into the whole custom, which is now being questioned in the wake of what happened in Colorado. You get into this protocol, which is called run, hide, attack. I'm remembering it correctly. So the idea is if somebody starts shooting, first try to get away from them. If you can't, then try to hide from them. And if that doesn't work and they're coming for you, then fight back. But the very fact that they have protocols like this where they teach school kids and members of the public about how to behave in a shooting spree tells you that nobody really wants to do anything about shooting sprees. They just feel that it's almost like, well, you know, take an umbrella, it's going to rain. Uh, the latest shooting spree happening in Virginia, this happened in a Walmart, multiple people dead, including the gunman who is thought to have killed himself. But here with the latest details, the morning after is Rory O'Neill, NBC News national radio correspondent. Rory, it's good to have you. Good morning. Good morning, John. You know, one of those key moments in, in the way America handles school shootings, you know, that you can buy a school backpack now with a bulletproof plate in it. Super. Uh, so what do we know? I, for one thing, I've seen no numbers from the Walmart shooting. Do we know any more about that this morning? Yeah, just a short time ago, we got confirmation from the city of Chesapeake, Virginia, that there are seven fatalities. That includes the shooter. So six other fatalities, plus the gunman himself. We believe that the gunman took his own life uh, as it took a while for the police to get there. Uh, find them. Uh, apparently, this may have happened in a break room. As there have been reports, the shooter was a current or former employee at the store. And no motive, no, I mean, it's very soon to be asking for any kind of identification right. of the person responsible. Yeah, all early days in that. The one local hospital says they're treating five survivors there. We haven't even gotten a total count of the number of wounded uh, in the attack. We are expecting an update from the Chesapeake Police Department in about two and a half hours. Rory, thank you. Thanks for being here early. Thanks, John. NBC News National Radio Correspondent Rory O'Neill. So I was mentioning before we took the break on the half hour that uh, there is a new integrity complaint that has been lodged against John Tory. Now, there was already one filed by a guy who has dogged previous Toronto mayors. Uh, his most famous complaint was against Rob Ford when he was mayor of Toronto, uh, alleging that there was some kind of skullduggery about the uh, restaurant licensing or deal that had been made in, um, in the beach. And actually, um, Rob Ford ended up prevailing in all of that. Uh, that person filed a complaint quite recently against John Tory. It was before the election. The integrity commissioner decided to suspend the investigation until after the election so as not to create some sort of a distraction. Uh, but the complaint was about John Tory 
being part of a group at Rogers, which actually, if I understand the situation well, administers Rogers' charity aspects and advises the Rogers Foundation. And for that, there is a $100,000 year compensation. The allegation is that makes John Tory beholden to the Rogers Corporation and the doings of any executive at Rogers. Um, this latest one is actually filed by Parthi Candevel, an eight-year Toronto School Board trustee who's upset because um, they were running for city council. And on election day, the allegation is there were robocalls in which John Tory urged people to vote for the incumbent candidate, Gary Crawford. And the problem here is that John Tory identified himself as Mayor John Tory rather than just as John Tory. And I'll be interested to see what our pundits have to say about this on the roundtables today at 745 and 845. But when I looked at this, I thought, okay, there's, there's sort of a grain there of something that you could complain about. But it reminded me of a famous line from the movie All About Eve. Uh, which was actually delivered to Marilyn Monroe, who plays an aspiring actress who is a complete and utter ditz. And here's what Addison DeWitt says to her. You have a point, an idiotic one, but a point. <laughs> so there you go. But like I said, maybe, the, uh, maybe all the people on the panels today are going to say, no way, John, that is absolutely outrageous. How could John Tory abuse his power by saying mayor instead of just deleting that word and saying John Tory? Mentioning as well, going into the break, that the uh, cost of rentals in Toronto is, uh, is on an absolute tear. And I have to assume here that, I mean, you are, if you are renting a place out, you are restricted on an annual basis to a certain level and it's tagged to inflation. And as a matter of fact, this year was not necessarily tagged to inflation. It was bigger than the rental increase that was permissible last year, but it was not on a par with the fact that by the end of this year, inflation is probably going to clock in at about 6 to 6.5% annualized. But the problem is if somebody leaves a place, then the next tenant can be charged pretty well anything. And for a good long time, I've been hearing stories about, for example, somebody rents, has a, you know, a two-bedroom condo that they want to rent out, and they'll have 10 people go through it in one day, and then they'll have people begging them. I know of one person, and technically I'm told this is illegal, but uh, one person who accepted a check for an entire year's rental because that was considered the price of admission. In some cases, they charge what I think is called a key fee, but it's like, okay, well, you can rent this place for $2,500 a month, but you're going to have to give me $1,500 just to get through the front door. So I asked the question, what is an average rental now in Toronto? And the data would suggest from listings that are there right now, the average price for a two-bedroom apartment or condo rental in Toronto rose 24% year to year to $3,353. That is a two-bedroom condo, $3,353. One-bedroom rental, rising 24% on the year, now sitting at $2,502. Uh, lots of other things to talk about, but we have to stop down to uh, take a look at traffic and weather. Um, but amongst other things, more people 
I have to wonder if police are just working this as a hot file right now. More people have been busted in the grandparent scam, and I couldn't be happier. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Okay, and that audio is just too delicious to resist, so we can listen to it again. Uh, It is extraordinarily rare for a judge or the head of any kind of a commission to kick somebody out of the room. You've really got to tick them off. But at the same time, when you are a a judge, you don't expect backtalk. I mean, somebody can say, I object to this, and the judge can say, I'm 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 not acknowledging your objection. We're gonna move on. And the person is supposed to say, but judge, it's no. And in this case, a lawyer for a charity that was set up by the convoy protesters just decided he was gonna pick a fight and walk all over the judge to the point where the judge said, That's it, you're out of here. No, I'm, I know you've directed. Sorry, you wanted the I'm application. I'm sorry. I'm speaking. Yes, sir. Um, the application, if you want to do it, you've been advised it's to be done in writing, not in the middle of sir, the presentation. Sir, we filed two motions so in writing I'm, at your direction that you've refused to rule on with respect I'm, to the redaction of documents from the government of Canada. You're speaking. That has not I'm been speaking. ruled on, and okay. they've been filed for I days. I will take a break while. Uh, you're asked Sir? to leave. I will return in five minutes if uh, security could deal with the council. And that's it. The judge got out, walked out. The lawyer was ejected from the room, so then he decided to take it up with reporters on the street. His insistence is this, and this is entirely in keeping with sort of the the framing device that the convoy protesters used even at the time of the convoy, which is the idea that the system has been completely corrupted by the government, that this inquiry is a sham, that police were turned against them during the convoy protests, that Justin Trudeau is an illegitimate prime minister. So yelling and talking over a judge is just sort of par for the course if you're trying to pretend that everything is has been rigged against you. The government of Canada has continuously and every day dropped hundreds of documents on the parties and the parties are frustrated. It is not just myself. They have tried to turn this entire proceeding into an inquiry about the failures of Chief Slawley as opposed to actually about the invocation of the Emergencies Act. And my duty to my clients and my duty as a lawyer is to uncover the truth. So the cabinet minister who was on the stand yesterday was, and there's no stand, I keep saying on the stand, but I mean, they just, they, they sit at a table and they testify. Public Safety Minister Marco Mendocino. And a bit of takeaway from what he had to say yesterday. And yes, bear in mind that each of these cabinet ministers and finally the prime minister who's expected on Friday are being very, very carefully prepared and they're being provided with talking points, which are always going to be favorable to the government. And then they walk in and give that testimony. So, so far we've had Bill Blair and that went fairly well. Uh, Yesterday was Marco Mendocino. And again, the information he came to the table with, amongst other things, he asserted that while the commissioner of the RCMP had said in writing that police were not yet out of the tools that they could use to end the convoy protests, she on the phone said that they should invoke the uh, Emergencies Act. 
And then we get to what was going on in Coots, Alberta. And I'll never quite understand why those people who would like to backstop the convoy protesters keep denying that heavily armed people were discovered in Coots, Alberta in the blockade and that they were alleged to be plotting the deaths of police officers. This was very, very serious stuff. Not yet proven in court, but the idea that nobody ever found any guns and that everybody was just enjoying a sauna and a bouncy castle is taking things just a little bit lightly. Here's Marco Mendocino. My concern was um, that this was, that this information was highly sensitive. It involved a hardened cell. It involved guns. It involved ideological symbolism, potentially. And that if that operation to arrest those individuals did not go efficiently and smoothly and, and peacefully, that it may have created a chain reaction elsewhere across the country because there were past reports about the presence of guns. And of course, everything this week and ultimately the result of the inquiry is going to probably, and I'm sure some clever PR person and some clever lawyers came up with this on behalf of the federal government, it's going to hinge on what was the cabinet told? Not whether or not that information was accurate, but what information were they working with at the time that they declared the Emergencies Act? And so far, uh, Bill Blair and Marco Mendocino have both testified the cabinet was told that things could turn violent, that there were people with arms, that police were incapable of breaking things up, that the head of CSIS thought that they should invoke the Emergencies Act. So I know there's an awful lot of people out there who are very heavily invested in the idea that Justin Trudeau and company should be humbled for everything they did. And I don't know if they needed the Emergencies Act. But if it's going to hinge on what were they told, what did they know at the time they made the decision, then it's going to be pretty, you know, easy for the judge to say, based on everything I have learned, I do not believe that the Declaration of the Emergencies Act was an unacceptable thing to do at the time. One of the things in the five things you need to know, um, we got to talk to somebody in Hamilton this morning, Joe Cristiano. I mean, we are going to talk to Laura Babcock, who I always call Ms. Hamilton. But some pretty strange stuff happens out there. I realized they kind of pressed the reset button in the most recent municipal election. They got a new mayor, Andrea Horvath, kind of a familiar individual. I think they swapped out a few city councillors that um, certainly uh, Laura Babcock was not thrilled about. She's often quoted me when I've said that Hamilton seems to be the Alabama of Canadian municipalities. But strange stuff happens out there. Like, remember the highway, which was found to be unsafe, and then they didn't do anything about it, and people were getting killed because under certain weather conditions, it simply was not, it, it wasn't up to code. And then you get to um, a sewage dump that happened, a 24 billion liter sewage leak in a creek in July of 2018. And word this morning that they have discovered that since 1996, 50 homes have been effectively flushing their toilets into the lake. And I, I have questions. We have questions. Uh, but, I mean, one of my questions would be, how does that, first of all, happen? What led to that leak? Number two would be, how does it go undetected? I mean, is the water so polluted at the point where all of this sewage has been pouring in since 1996 that nobody was ever going to detect this? 
Um, it's, it's a strange and unfortunate situation. But they got a new mayor, they got a new city council, so they'll patch up the uh, sewage pipes, begin processing the sewage, and hopefully, uh, you know, move on from there. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.